36, uh, which consists of question and answers 99 and 100. We also will be confessing together a portion of question and answer 92. As always, we are not having a scripture reading this morning because we are considering exposition of the Ten Commandments. And so question answer 92 contains our scripture reading as it's a quotation of the third commandment for us. As always, I will read the question if you'd please respond by reciting the, question, uh, the answer. Excuse me. So question 92 asks, what is God's law? You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Question 99 asks, What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths. No share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Question 100 asks, is it blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing? Really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can, all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. Well, boys and girls, uh, what, is, uh, uh, what are the three main sections of our catechism? Micah? Guilt, gratitude. And which section are we in? Micah? Gratitude. gratitude very good. That was a, a brief review. What are those, those three main elements of true faith? Violet? Knowledge, Knowledge ascent, and trust. And what is the content of this faith? Noel? Apostles' Creed. What benefit do we receive when we profess this truth faith? Annabelle? Christ's righteousness. righteousness. Where does faith come from? Lily? Correct. Yeah, the Holy Spirit uses the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, to create faith in our hearts, and then the sacraments are used to confirm, assure, or nourish that faith. This is one of the reasons why worship on Sundays is so important because the Spirit uses what we do in worship to accomplish things in our life, to create, nurture, and strengthen our faith. Now, what are the two keys of the kingdom? The two keys of the kingdom. Annabelle? Yes, the preaching of the word in church discipline. Very good. And so now we are in this, this gratitude section and... Of course, gratitude serves as that chief motivation for good works in the life of, of a Christian. And uh, those three elements of a good work, those three elements of a good work consist of, remember, from the internal to the external. They proceed from true faith. They're done, they are done according to the law of God and unto God's glory. So 
There's that internal uh, motivation disposition which leads then to that grand telos of God's glory. And because good works need to conform to the law of God, the catechism now is spending quite a bit of time expositing, explaining, applying the Ten Commandments as a law of gratitude for us as redeemed image bearers. So boys and girls, um, do you remember what, what is the first commandment? Or summary of the first commandment? Anyone know? Micah? Yes, very good. So the first commandment speaks to who we should worship. Well, what about the second commandment? Noel? How we worship. Very good, yes. The first commandment speaks to who we should worship. The second commandment says that we should not make uh, for ourselves any graven image. Heaven above, earth beneath, water under the sea. Um, we, are to, we are to worship God as he has commanded us in his word. So it answers that how question. Well, now the third commandment still speaks to our love for God. Remember, there's that two divisions in the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments speak to our love for God. The last six speak to our love for neighbor. And so the third commandment still um, touches upon how we relate to God, how we love God. So notice particularly that the third commandment touches upon our use of God's name. Now, the third commandment is put negatively. You shall not misuse or take the name of the Lord your God in vain. But positively, we are called to use God's name reverently and with respect. This morning, then, we're going to consider here, then, for a few moments, a little bit more what, what this third commandment uh, teaches us about how we are to live as Christians, as those who have been saved by grace through Christ without any merit of our own. And we're going to look at, at three things as we seek to unpack this commandment. The first thing that we, we are going to consider is the meaning of God's name. The meaning of God's name. Second, we'll consider how invoking God's name is a double-edged sword. And third, how we are called to represent God's name. So first, the meaning of God's name. There's a very close connection in scripture between God's name and his being. Between God's name and his character. Between God's name and his attributes. God's name reveals who God is. In fact, this is how many of the names of biblical characters operated in the Bible. The chief example of this is Esau. We are told in Genesis that Esau means red and hairy. So why was Esau named Esau? Because he literally was red and hairy. So names weren't arbitrary in, in biblical times, but they described the person. So it is with God. God's names describe who he is. Now you'll notice that the third commandment speaks of God's name in the singular. You shall not take the name, the singular name, of the Lord your God in vain. Well, the singular name of God, as, as one theologian says, is split up into many special names, which are expressive of, of his many-sided being. So, yes, yeah, sometimes the Old Testament speaks of God's name in the singular, but other times we see that God has many names, and these many names of God unpack his many-sided character, or his multifaceted character. So, for instance, uh, there are many names of God we're not going to... Uh, list all of them, but list some of the more significant ones. The Hebrew uh, name Elohim, 
which is translated as God. This refers to how God's omnipotent, how God's powerful and almighty. There's the Hebrew name El Shaddai, which uh, is translated into English as God Almighty. And this not only refers to God's omnipotence, but also that this all-powerful God is a source of comfort and peace to us. There's the Hebrew name Yahweh, which is translated into English as Lord in all caps. And this refers to how God is our covenant God, our covenant Lord, but also refers to God's self-existence, God's self-sufficiency, God's sovereignty. And so as you unpack many of these names that we see in Scripture of God, they explain his being, they explain his attributes, they explain who he is. So God's name reveals who he is. Now the reason why misusing God's name is so egregious is because God's name is bound up with his character. Besmirching God's name is essentially besmirching God's character as being his attributes. And this is why... God takes his name and the use of his name so seriously. So the meaning of God's name is very significant throughout the pages of Scripture. Then as a consequence, the invoking of God's name serves as a double-edged sword. So there are great consequences that come when we invoke the name of God. These consequences can either be positive or negative, depending upon how we use the name of God. For instance, listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You hear that last part? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul here is saying that if we invoke the name of the Lord with faith, we're saved. There's great blessing. However, conversely, if we take the name of the Lord uh, in vain and we don't have faith, we don't believe, well then we'll be judged on the last day for that transgression of, of this third commandment. Uh, Leviticus chapter 24, uh, Moses says in verses 15 through 16, he says, as, uh, or excuse me, God is speaking to Moses, and he says this, he says, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourner, as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. Now, as New Covenant Christians, we know that, that uh, we're not called to stone those who break the third commandment. Uh, we should not expect God to smite those who break the third commandment. However, this revelation from Leviticus teaches us about the seriousness of this third commandment, the seriousness of, of, of taking the Lord's name in vain. And we know that when those who have no mediator, when those who, who don't profess faith um, reach the last day, they will have to account for their transgressions to all of God's commandments, including this third commandment. And so as you can see there, and this actually is, is one of the proof texts that question and answer 100 is, is referencing. So invoking God's name is a double-edged sword. It can lead to salvation or judgment, blessing or curse. 
You know, boys and girls, I once heard a pastor use this illustration, which I think is, is helpful here. Uh, you all probably have been playing at some point um, in your life at, at home or maybe elsewhere, and maybe your sibling or a friend runs into a room, a bedroom, and, and shuts the door. And you want to get in. And you knock on the door, you pound on the door, you say, let me in. And your sibling or friend says, no. What do you do? Well, you go to mom or dad. And you say, well, mom says, open the door. And if your sibling or friend has any sense, they open the door. You invoked the name of a superior and you got into the bedroom. Well, again, this is a good illustration for what happens when we invoke the name of the Lord with faith. We have no right to enter the kingdom on our own merits, on our own authority. But when we invoke the name of the Lord, the door of the kingdom opens. And we can enter by faith. So, invoking the name of the Lord serves as a double-edged sword. Blessing or curse, judgment or salvation. I'd like us to think for a few moments about, about baptism. Because baptism here, I think, relates very, uh, very well to uh, this, this commandment. Baptism, at least historically, has been thought of as a naming ceremony. When one is baptized, God places his name upon them. Think about the formula that we use from Jesus' own mouth in Matthew 28. Um, he tells his disciples uh, to baptize the nations in the name, right, the singular name, of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So in baptism, God places his name on his people. Now, of course, those who profess faith, those who invoke the, invoke the name of the Lord by faith, is, this baptism serves as a sign of salvation, deliverance. But those who, who reject the Lord, who don't respond by faith, who uh, use the, uh, treat the Lord's name as, as a common name, who treat the Lord as a mere creature or non-existent, then their baptism is a sign of future judgment. But nevertheless, in baptism, God places his name, his triune name upon his people, and thus we are called to represent God well, to represent his name well. I've said before that baptism signifies guilt, grace, gratitude. So it, uh, it shows us that we're sinful, that we're guilty, that we're dirty. It shows us that we're in need of a washing, not merely a washing of water, but a greater washing, the washing of the blood of Christ and the Spirit. But baptism also calls us to walk in the newness of life. The baptism is about ethics. We are called to represent the name of God well because God placed his name upon us. You know, boys and girls, you all were born into a family. You all have a last name and you have not chosen your last name and you have not chosen your family. You were placed in that family. You were given that last name. And your last name tells you how you are to live. There are certain things that you do because you are a wit or an overland. And there are certain things that you don't do because you have the last name that you have. So your last name is actually very practical when it comes to your day-to-day -day existence. Well, again, in baptism, God has placed his name upon us and tells us, tells you to represent him well to the world. So baptism is very practical. This is why our forefathers in the faith have instructed us that we are to remember our baptism daily. Because we are to remember who we are and who it is that we're representing in our daily lives. 
I remember playing sports in, in, in high school and college and several coaches telling us as, as players, as athletes, that you know, through our play, through our competition, we are representing our school and our community. And I remember one particular instance in which uh, several of my teammates were especially disrespectful during a game to the referees and the opposing team, and we got an earful from our coach, and he told us that we failed in our duty to represent the name on our jersey, our school, and our community. Again, so it is with the family of God. God has placed his name upon us in baptism, and we are called to represent him well. This is how the third commandment functions as a law of gratitude. We are called not to misuse the name of God, but we are called to represent the name well to our friends, family, neighbors, those with whom we interact with. As you'll notice in question answer 99, uh, the catechism first begins by telling us what it means to represent God's name poorly. It gives us a, a negative example or negative examples. Or put another way, the catechism tells us what it means to misuse the name of God. And then it goes on to talk about how we represent God's name well. So what are some of the ways in which, according to the catechism, we misuse the name of God? What are some of the ways that we see there in question answer 99? Sean? Profanity. Okay, profanity. Yes, it says cursing. Cursing. And here, the catechism isn't addressing specifically foul language. That's denounced elsewhere in Scripture. That's denounced in Ephesians chapter 5. But here, the catechism is especially talking about calling curses down upon other people. God's curses down upon other people. As New Covenant Christians, this is forbidden especially. Think of what Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So we are not called to, we are not called to call God's curses down upon other people. This is one of the reasons why the word damn has often, is oftentimes referred to as a, a bad word, right? A curse word. We are not to curse others. What other things does, does the catechism list, list as ways in which we misuse the name of God? Perjury. Perjury. Yes, perjury and unnecessary oaths. And here, the catechism is saying that we misuse the name of God when we commit perjury or make unnecessary oaths. Now, Next time, we'll consider the legitimate use of oaths and vows. There is a legitimate biblical use of, of oaths and vows, but here the catechism is saying that we are not to uh, go against a legitimate oath and vow that we have made. We're not to break our word. We're not to lie. That's forbidden. That's a way in which we misuse the name of God. We treat God's name as a common name. What's another way in which we misuse the name of God? Being silent bystanders. Silent bystanders. Yeah, notice how it says, share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. And we have to remember here the historical context of the catechism. The catechism was written during the 16th century. This was a time in which the state enforced Christianity. This was during Christendom. So the average layperson in the 16th century didn't know a non-Christian. They didn't know anyone who, who wasn't a Christian, at least in name. And so this catechism and this phrase here 
is specifically referencing our conduct with other Christians. It's not speaking to what we should do if we're in line at the grocery store and the person ahead of us takes the Lord's name in vain. It's speaking to our conduct with other Christians. And so really the, the, the situation that's envisioning is if during fellowship time you hear another member of your church misusing the name of God, you shouldn't be a silent bystander. Just say something. It's not addressing our, you know, our relation, our conduct with non-Christians, unbelievers. So I think that's an important contextual point to, to, to bring out here. But we shouldn't be silent bystanders when it comes to our conduct with other believers. And you may have heard of the term nominal Christian. And what does it mean to be a nominal Christian? Sean? Name only. Exactly, name only. So, again, think about what I said a moment ago about baptism. A nominal Christian essentially is someone who has received the name of God in baptism, but doesn't represent the name of God in their lives, doesn't live as if they're part of the family of God. They're Christians in name only. And we are not called, in this sense, to be nominal Christians. Another way to describe this concept is through the term hypocrisy. We've been given the name in baptism, but we don't represent the name. We live contrary to that name in our daily lives. The Apostle Paul expounds upon this in Titus 1, verse 16, when he's speaking of false teachers. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They're detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. And so this, this first part of question answer 99 is essentially speaking about hypocrisy. Those who have received the name of God in baptism, but, but misuse that name. Don't represent that name well through their speech or conduct. Well, question answer 99 goes on to speak about how, how do we represent the name of God? And what does it say? How do we represent the name of God well? According to question answer 99. Yes, with reverence and awe. There's some C words there that. Confess, call upon, and praise. Correct, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so reverence and awe, right? Um, that's definitely a part of it. Uh, we're called to confess, call, we're called to praise him in everything we do and say. So I'd like us to consider that last phrase, because that's sort of the all-encompassing phrase. Praise him in everything we do and say. That's, that's really what we're called to do in our baptisms. In our baptisms, we're called then to live a life in which we praise God in everything that we do and say. So we are called to praise God in what we say. So, again, earlier, we, we um, well, someone reminded us that the first commandment is, is, is about who we should worship. Micah uh, mentioned that, and then Noel mentioned that the uh, second commandment is how we should worship, right? Who is the first commandment? Second commandment is how. Well, one author has talked about the third commandment as speaking to the language of worship, the language of worship. And so the third commandment touches upon how we pray in corporate worship, what we sing in corporate worship. Our songs, our prayers are not only to conform with scripture, but they are to be reverent. Because our God is a holy God. We are to respect his name, and thus we shouldn't pray flippantly, we shouldn't sing flippant songs. We are to, we are to use a certain language in scripture. 
or in uh, language in worship, excuse me. But on a more practical level, this calls us to speak reverently of God in our ordinary conversations. Uh, but this also, as I mentioned before, calls us to speak reverently of God's works, his works of providence. Just as we, just as I said before, God's name and his being are, are sort of inseparable, they're tied together, so too God's name and his works. And so we are called to speak reverently of God's works of providence. And so one very practical application here is that the third commandment forbids complaining and grumbling. Because what are you doing when you're complaining and grumbling? You're complaining against God's works of providence. Now, the Bible does call us to lament. Lament's a good thing according to Scripture. But there's a fine line between lament and complaining. The Psalms of Lament help us in this regard. Because when you look at many of the Psalms of Lament, they begin with lament... But generally speaking, they end with the psalmist calling to mind what he knows to be true, returning to the foundations of his faith. And so it's good to lament, but we can't stay there forever. We need to come back to what we know to be true, the foundations of our faith. And therefore, we're called to speak reverently not only of God's name, but also of his works of providence in our life. We also are called to praise God in what we do. Praise God in what we do, of course, is a very all-encompassing command here. We're to praise God by what we do. And when we do, uh, you know, imperfectly, of course, uh, the Catechism will go on to say in subsequent Lord's Days that even the holiest of, men's, holiest of men have a small beginning of perfect obedience. Uh, so we have to remember that. But when we imperfectly seek to obey God's law as a norm of gratitude, we demonstrate that God's law is good and wise, and as a consequence, we demonstrate that God is good and wise. Because we respect his law and his will for our lives. And so when it comes to the third commandment, it's very important that we understand the meaning of God's name. God's name throughout scripture is very important. It reveals who he is. And second, we have to understand how important it is um, um, or, or how, how, God, how invoking God's name is a double-edged sword. How you invoke God's name has serious consequences. If you invoke God's name with faith, blessing and salvation. If you turn away from Christ and take the Lord's name in vain, well then it's curse and judgment. And lastly then, as those who have been redeemed, those who've been baptized, we are called to represent God well in what we do what we say. Next time we're together, we will spend one more Lord's Day here on this third commandment and we'll consider specifically the issue of legitimate oaths and vows. So let us pray. Merciful Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We also thank you for these faithful articulations and summaries of your word that have been passed down to us. Uh, throughout the generations. And we thank you this morning for uh, this exposition of your third commandment. We thank you that you have placed your name upon us in the water.